Hi everybody and thank you for downloading Talk Gnosis After Dark. Tonight we're going to talk about Martinism once again, one of my favorite topics. Uh, and to help me do that, Reverend Mr. Jonathan Stewart. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Father Tony. Is it is it lovely up there in Montreal today? It actually is, yes. Yeah. So it this is quite nice here as well. It's yeah. The weather. That's such a good topic people want to hear about. Oh, on I, it, it's been a recurring topic on the show. It's true. It's what they really tune in for. They're like <laughs> You know, what was the I like weather the like two weeks ago stuff, in Montreal? I need to know. Yeah. Anyway, no, enough what of that. What the weather was two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, we're going to talk about Martinism today. Uh, we had a really great conversation in the video portion, so check that out. Link in the down there. Um, and uh, to help us do that is Bishop William B. of the Apostolic Joanite Church. Welcome back, Bishop. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny that you're talking about the weather because I was I, I did uh, sort of tune in very very briefly to uh, the the first Martinism uh, episode that uh, the the late great uh, Martin Jacobs uh, had done, uh, and it's funny because the first conversation is about the snow in Chicago, <laughs> so that's the, the the starting point. So. Yeah, it, all of this timely content that we're putting out there. <laughs> right. Yeah, this, this, the, the snow in 2014, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Jeez, it's, uh, time flies. Anyway, so uh, we talked a lot about Martinism in general terms in the, uh, in the video portion. I think I'd like to talk about uh, some more specifics uh, in this podcast. Um, so let's, talk, uh, let's start at the beginning with uh, Martinez de Pasquale. What was he doing uh, originally? What was his uh, kind of theurgical operations, his, the Elu Cohen? And, and what was all that like kind of at the beginning? Um, my understanding, and I'm by no stretch of the imagination or an expert on this, uh, was a lot of that was drawn from the uh, heptameron of Pe uh, Peter Dalbano. And so that involves uh, invocations of specific spirits, uh, specific angels uh, that are tuned to particular times of the year. So it was very... Uh, it had this strong sort of temporal aspect to it, and uh, the heptameron of of, of Pierre Dalbano is is available. Anybody can and go online and look at that um, in in wonderful translations. I think online there's even a, a side by side Latin English translation. Um, but my understanding is that was the the sort of starting point for a lot of the Elia Cohen work in particular. And so I have every reason to believe that much of what uh, Martinez was doing would have had that same sort of flavor and 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 focus. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kind of end goal of this theurgical operation was to make contact with a, a particular spirit um, that they called La Chose. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that name. Yeah, That's my favorite. Mm. It just means the thing. The thing. <laughs> yep. the thing. We're, we're yep. just going to invoke the thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Who, what is the thing? Um, what, is, uh, what does the thing do for you, and, and why would you want to invoke it? Uh, well, I, I would be remiss if I made uh, any sort of claim to, uh, to knowledge regarding Le Chaux, um because that's just, it, it's beyond my, uh, my spiritual capacity at this point. But uh, my understanding is that, that Le Chaux really is the the sort of, at the same time, most personal and most universal 
uh, point of contact between the individual practitioner and the divine. It is the the reflection of of the practitioner in the divine world, and simultaneously the reflection of uh, of God in the in the personal world. And beyond that, I mean, I, I just think I'd be hard pressed to to say anything more. And and perhaps that's right, and perhaps yeah. that's exactly. The, the where we should leave it, which is why it gets this name, uh, mm. the thing, right? I mean, it is uh, at one and the same time uh, a, a nebulous sort of concept, but also something that I think is deeply personal. Yeah, it's another one of those uh, things we often talk about on the show that can't be talked about because you can't put it into words. <laughs> but we try anyways. Uh, yeah, so, but that's a that's a that's a standard trope in so many mystical traditions. I mean, the the Tao of which one can speak is not the true Tao, right? Uh, so, uh, I, I think that that there's something to that, and uh, especially with any a tradition that is in any way associated with or or adjacent to uh, negative theology or apophatic theology, uh, the idea that 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 the divine is something that we could put into uh, clear propositional terms is it, that's a non-starter. Uh, so I, I think that the use of a terminology like Le Chose is, is completely appropriate for that, that deep and abiding spiritual uh, connection. Whether it has something to do with what other traditions call the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel or uh, some bonange or whatever it is. Um, I think I'm going to just have to beg off on that. Yeah, I, I suspect it does, and that's that's another rant that I, I need some more research on, but I, I believe that martyrdom was more influential on the, the, the later occult revival than it's given credit for, and specifically the more English way of thinking about things, and I'm thinking about, uh, you know, uh, 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 Golden Dawn and later Philemma, uh, martyrism is more in its DNA than, than we recognize now. But again, sometimes tracking down this transmission of concepts can be quite difficult, particularly because we are sometimes talking about stuff that scholars don't really care about and esoteric secrets. Um, that people but are but really also because about. because so many of these things get get mixed together. I mean, yes. you're look in the the 18th and 19th century. You're looking at this sort of spiritual witches brew where you've got uh, sort of Martinism and what we might call Martinism. <laughs> um, you know, the sort of theurgical aspects that are being blended with uh, Masonic work, that's being blended with mystical work, um, you know, so that when we look at something like uh, the Golden Dawn, right, uh, it, it's drawing on so many of those aspects and, and so many of the people who were deeply familiar with these traditions and real adepts in these traditions um, they're going to be influenced by these various aspects. And so even without thinking, somebody like uh, Mathers, uh, who's coming from the Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia, which had a, a Masonic uh, component, he's going to draw that, that sort of Masonic dimension in, and it is through that Masonic dimension that a lot of the 
the Martinist influence comes. So it, it, it makes a certain amount of sense that they would have that that kind of relationship or that kind of question or that kind of uh, uh, influence. Right. Although it might be best, even, the, even if they are influences, it might be best to talk about them separately because perhaps they are separate things or they're at least different ways of thinking and they're maybe a hundred years separate. And, and to back it up a little bit, because we're, we're kind of almost instantly getting into inside baseball, some mm -hmm. people will be scratching their heads. So, so, so to Pasquale, he's like, it's the end of the 1700s. He's a mysterious man that some people say is a Jew, some people say is a Spaniard. He Port I've heard Portuguese too. Yeah. Portuguese, yeah. He writes and speaks very poor French, um, so that gives yeah. some credence to to some of these theories. And he's coming into these Masonic circles and introducing these 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 ideas, right? Mm -hmm. that, that are blowing mm -hmm. some people's minds. And he's forming these circles uh, of a group that he calls uh, the Chosen Priests, the yeah. the Elaquar, yeah. the the Elect Cohens, and they're doing they're doing these theurgical ceremonies and rituals and and the reason why is it's, he's not trying to summon spirits to to get laid or to <laughs> find buried treasure it, it is it's um, a holy thing right they're they're trying to make this connection to the divine is, is that correct yeah ab absolutely yeah. and and there really does seem to be an attempt to distinguish uh, what they're doing as theurgists, doing this this sacred work from the thaumaturgical kinds of Goetic practices, um, and 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 we do later on start to see those uh, melded together, where where people will say, well, yeah, I mean, summoning Goetic spirits, for example, uh, is part of a spiritual path because subduing those lower aspects of of the the angelic realm is necessary in order to make the sort of initiatory advances that one one wants to make but there really does seem to be in the 18th and early 19th century an attempt to separate those off and probably the simplest way to to think about that is if thaumaturgy is about imposing one's will on on reality Theurgy is about aligning one's will with the uh, with the divine will, right? And, and this, uh, sorry, go. Uh, well, was, yes, so that seems to be something that that's really important to people, other people that were part of those circles in in Europe, uh, and then later on in uh, uh, in the, the 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 Caribbean. Yeah, and and this is a uh, like it's it's just almost like a Neoplatonic like. You're elevating like so when I look at it, it almost sounds like the the grand the grand great chain of being, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're making these connections to which which you already do have, but you're making the connections stronger so that you you can bring yourself up to the divine. Would, would you say that's correct, or is that reading neoplatonism into it? No, that's that sounds right to me, especially given the fact that within Martinist ritual practice. Um, the symbol of the chain is so important, uh, right. and that that's that's an integral part of of a lot of of different forms of of Martinist practice. So, so that rings true to me. Um, obviously, I'd have to think it through a little more concretely because I don't I don't know that I've ever thought of it in those particular terms. But at first hearing, that that sounds right to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Dr. Jeffrey uh, Kupperman would be would be somebody who uh, would have some some wonderful sort of insights into that. Uh, I think. Yes, we're we're scheduling him right now for his next appearance on the show. <laughs> it's been too long, so. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, uh, your grace, would you putting putting on your other hat as uh, uh, since of course you uh, you you teach your philosopher and you teach philosophy. Do you do you see uh, Martinez Pasquale and um, and um, Louis Claude de Saint Martin? Do you see them as you know, kind of reacting to what's going on intellectually. You already mentioned that they were strongly against atheism, you know, and there's this idea about yeah. the, the re-enchantment of the world after the, the, you know, the great enlightenment and after the scientific worldview comes in. And there seems to be, this does seem in some ways to be kind of bringing, you know, magic back into the world, and particularly in the context of France, right, where you're, you know, you, you've just had the... Uh, the glorious revolution and you've had um atheism being a huge trend yeah, and to do yeah. this very ritualistic work do it's it's interesting because uh one of the most profound influences on the kinds of things that that martinez and and louis claude are doing is of course Jakob Boehme, yeah. and uh Boehme also has this very very strong influence on german idealism so there's a lot that's going on right in that that time period that's connected to to political movements and uh, things like that. Now it does seem to me, at least from my reading, when I'm looking at people like uh, like like Schlegel uh, or uh, Van Bada or even Hegel or Hölderlin. Uh, and then translating that over into into France with people like uh, Martinez and Louis Claude de Saint Martin, there's a strong politically conservative element uh, to yes. what they're doing. Um, it, there seems to be an anti-revolutionary uh, move there. Um, I don't. I wouldn't want to just sort of to, to classify it as a kind of Napoleonism. Um, but I do know that, uh, for example, Hölderlin is, uh, is taken with Napoleon fairly early on. Um, so th there, there does seem to be a, a conservative element. And I think that that conservative element is very much a reaction against the encroaching enlightenment. Uh, the, the, in Germany, uh, what we refer to as the Aufklärung. Um, or the the enlightenment where this kind of very calculative reason is held up as the be all and end all of of human thought and i i see people like uh german idealists um and early german romanticists and english romanticism and the french theosophists uh, really as as part of a single sort of movement that's taking place at that time as a reaction against enlightenment values right and uh, we won't we won't move on maybe we can say on Pasquale for for a few more moments but uh I'm pretty sure uh, Louis Claude did did say that he considered Burba his second master they never met mm -hmm. but you know he studied his work so he considered Pasquale his first master and Burba his second master so. and, and that makes sense I mean and and when we talk about, I mean, just sort of hidden influences, you know, uh, the the way that things filter through, 
Bama is one of the ones where it just it never stops. I mean, every yeah. every stone I pick up, I find Yakubama underneath, and uh, it, it's just absolutely fascinating to me that and and that's true whether we're talking about um, theosophy or we're talking about uh, mystical or magical practices or we're talking about philosophy. Uh, so, so Bema really is a, a much more central figure than I think um, is even acknowledged, despite the fact that people are, seem readily uh, seem ready to to sort of give him his due. Uh, it might run even further than we think. Right. And then uh, a question I really wanted to talk about that, that we talked a little bit through email is uh, Pasquale basically rewrote Genesis uh, in in a in a way that is kind of similar to to uh, to us Gnostics. Uh, mm -hmm, of course, mm -hmm. the Gnostics are all about rewriting Genesis. You know, you see it in something like Secret John. But he, he constructs a, a new myth that, that I find almost shockingly Gnostic, like capital G, similar to the Valentinians or the Sethians. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I, I can't really find anything quite, in my opinion, that Gnostic until we go back to the NHL. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't, I don't find the, uh, the Cafars myth as Gnostic as, as, um, as Pasquale's. So, um, like, I'm just wondering, like, do, do you agree? Do you, do you see a heady dose of Gnosticism in there? The, the capital G kind, you know, the, these ideas about the, you, you have a, um, uh, uh, you know, a fall into matter. You kind of have these these evil influences that are very archonic. Uh, you have this separation, like uh, yeah. So some of your some of your thoughts on both. both yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's that's absolutely the case, and it makes sense. Therefore, why uh, there was this this intimate relationship between the Gnostic churches and 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 Martinism in. Uh, the 20th century, and there is a stretch in which, uh, in order to be a, make sure I get this right, uh, in order to be a, a bishop in uh, the Iglesia Gnostica Apostolique, mm -hmm. uh, one had to be uh, an SI. Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe is it is it yeah. I and that's why I think and also a, uh, a sixty-six degree uh, Memphis Miserium. Right. Well. well, the sixty-six degree actually includes the the ritual of the Grand Consecrator. That so there's actually an Episcopal consecration that's part of that degree. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that that's absolutely the case that there's this intimate connection uh, between that and there does seem to be a really strong. Gnostic element of it. In fact, in my philosophy classes, I talk about um, uh, uh, Louis Claude de Saint Martin's comment uh, regarding the sacrament of of penance. Uh, when he's asked, and uh, this is, I think, uh, apocryphal, but when he's asked why he nominally uh, a Catholic does not undergo the sacrament of penance, his response was. My life in this body is my penance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't get a more Gnostic statement. I mean, that's yeah. that's positively Manichaean at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the idea that that there is this this Gnostic dimension to what they're doing, uh, I think, makes a lot of sense. Of course, it raises a really interesting historical question uh, because, of course, this is prior to this is 
significantly prior to the rediscovery of the Nag Hammadi, that there's there's not a, a tradition of Gnostic literature that's available. And I find it really interesting that these ideas have this kind of resurgence in this way. I, I don't even think, sort of the, by St. Waddell's time, the, the Gnostic revival of, of the late 1800s, which martyrdom predates, you have, you have the heresiologist being circulated, right? So right, right, get, right. You can get the systems and the myths. And, it's yeah, it's yeah. there. But I, I don't think they were really well read and circulated, you know, uh, even a generation before that, but let alone in the 1700s. So it does, it's, and, and Martinez also claimed that he had mysterious masters, right? That yeah, he, yeah. he is actually passing on something, which of course is a common trope in esotericism, but mm -hmm. it doesn't right, start right, with him. He, he is passing on something, and it, it is one of those things that really kind of, to me, because I find it so shockingly Gnostic, oh, is, is this the evidence of the underground stream? Or is he just, uh, as Dr. David Brocky says, you know, you kind of reverse engineer Gnosticism if you're left alone with these texts long enough, right? Give someone Genesis, give them enough, have enough shitty things happen to them. Give right. them a few mystical experiences, and they're going to reverse engineer Gnosticism. I, I think that because Gnosticism is such a broad category, yeah. um, there's, it, it's easy to, to sort of see it everywhere. Um, but that said, I, I think that you're right, that there is something shockingly Gnostic about uh, what Martinez is doing. And, and it raises a question of the possibility that these things are, are transmitted in ways that are not historical. Which is yeah. to say that, that they're simply rediscovering truths that are, that are simply there to be picked up. And for me, that's a very... And maybe comforting is the wrong word, but it's a very encouraging uh, sort of concept that my own sort of faith commitments and faith uh, faith community is on the right track. I mean, if if these ideas are are coming up periodically, uh, independently of any kind of historical transmission, that suggests immediately to me that there's something there's something authentic going on there. And so I think that for me, Martinez is an important part of, of, of my, my spiritual practice as a Gnostic, uh, because it does demonstrate this, this recovery, this non-historical recovery of these Gnostic ideas. Right. And something else I, I think is interesting that maybe uh, a listener who knows more about Martinism or somebody wants to research, but uh, the, the kind of, I mean, we don't have to wrap it up, but Martinez uh, inherited some property in what's now Haiti, and mm -hmm. he uh, he moved and and there and then died there. And I have I I haven't gone down this rabbit hole, but you know, uh, martyrdom does become very important in the Caribbean. It does become very important in Haiti, and some people have said that it had a, it had a major influence on voodoo. But I haven't been able to. It's one of the many things that had to be that that makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, or whether it it has an influence on Voudon or or whether Voudon has an influence on the way that it gets transmitted. Uh, certainly, Martinez uh, lives for a, a relatively short time in Sondermont, uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, he was setting up uh, circles there. Uh, and so those ideas become part of of that that highly syncretic tradition. 
And that's the thing I think that we have to remember when we're talking about uh, Caribbean and Afro-Caribbean uh, spiritual practice, that it is so deeply syncretic. It's drawing from from the, the Yoruba uh, tradition, from Ifa, it's drawing from, from Catholicism, it's drawing from Freemasonry. I mean, you notice that a number of the, the Loa are, are Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so it would make a certain amount of sense that uh, that Martinism would be part of that that combination, and and I think that I, I think that yeah, we would have to sort of look at it, but I don't think that there's anything that would do violence to the tradition on either side to suggest, for example, that that some particular Loa was a was a Martinist. Yeah. Uh, th- that would make sense, I think, within the context of both of those traditions. Yeah. Um, before we go off of, uh, of uh, Pasquale, the, um, he was heavily influenced by Kabbalah, wasn't he? That's my understanding, and I think that that's uh, another inheritance from, from Burma. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You've mentioned Burma a couple of times, and uh, I, I think our listeners probably don't know who he was because almost nobody does. <laughs> Can you give us the briefest is, is, of overviews? Is that is that really the case? I, I think mean, so. I, I mean, you teach philosophy, so you don't count. But I think <laughs> most people probably have never heard of Jakob Burma. Yeah, we well, definitely need to do a show on him. But teacher Grace, please try try to give us the overview. Well, you did that. You did a lecture on him at the Joe and I Conclave a number of years ago. Some that was years. yeah, yeah, and, a long uh, time ago. It's it was sort of interesting because the that that um, it, it sort of turned into a, a lecture on on Schelling <laughs> uh, more than it was a lecture on Yakubima. Um Of course, Schelling uh, really you know, profoundly influenced by. Uh, by Burma. Um, Burma was a uh, late 16th, early 17th century uh, German theologian um, without a whole lot of, of formal training. Um, he was able to sort of produce these extraordinary uh, theological treatises uh, that really sort of illustrated uh, a new way of thinking about the divine and and human relationship to the divine and it opens up uh, a very new sort of conception of of god it that has well god takes on a life he he has a he has a sort of of movement uh which is very very absent from say scholastic or thomistic uh, conceptions of the divine that are rooted in the Aristotelian notion of of the unmoved mover that simply uh, is what it is and is unchanging and eternal and so on and so forth. All of a sudden, with Burma, we see uh, God as as having a, a developmental or a genealogical sort of life, and for me, that's always the the most radical element of uh, of, of of what Burma is doing. Of course, he's deeply interested in, in in the problem of of evil that has uh, plagued philosophers and theologians uh, since, and, and and again presents a sort of radical notion of of evil as having its origin in. 
in a sort of hidden heart of God. And, and that's something that I think is, is really quite, quite extraordinary. So, so Buma has this, this profound influence um, on, on the philosophers on the one hand, uh, people, as I said, like uh, Franz von Bada uh, and, and Friedrich Schelling, I think to a, a somewhat lesser extent on, uh, on Hegel. Um, but then also has this influence on on theosophists and uh, and and mystics like uh, like Louis Claude and uh, and Martinez. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, so let's talk about Louis Claude a little bit more. Um, his way of the heart <laughs> you mentioned earlier in the video show is um, is a more mystical uh, kind of approach to this same concepts or these same concepts. Uh, can you give us a kind of overview of what that looks like? It's interesting because I, on the one hand, um, obviously the the sort of interior path is is vitally vitally important to any kind of Martinist practice. I I, I don't think you can um, work the Martinist tradition in its modern form without paying a lot of attention to this idea of the way of the heart. Um, that said. There are elements of it that don't necessarily resonate with me quite to the same extent that the theurgical mm. uh, operations do. So I'm 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 a little outside of my wheelhouse here. Um, so if I if I misspeak or I, I misrepresent that that tradition, um, you know I, I I offer my apologies in advance. Um, but my understanding is that uh, the way of the heart is uh, about sort of turning inward to the secret center of what makes us uh, children of the divine and the representation of that as the heart and the representation of that as a, a, a sort of compassionate center, I think, is, is something that lies uh, really at the, the core of of the Via Cardias. So, so rather than turning outward to uh, the angelic hierarchies and uh, invocations, there is instead an invitation to the divine to, to be present in us in a, a very, very concrete way. And this is going to involve, uh, I think, as I understand it, more what we would call meditative practices as opposed to uh, invocatory or evocatory practices. And so I, I think that the, the use, for example, of silence uh, as a, a symbol of, of the, the way of the heart is very, very important. That if we, if we silence ourselves, if we, we, stop and we listen as opposed to uh, actively reaching out, we have this possibility of hearing the voice of the master in our own uh, being as opposed to having to reach outside of ourselves for it. Um, so that's all too vague, mm -hmm. I think, on the one hand. Uh, and, and I hope, as I said, that I'm not misrepresenting that, uh, that tradition. Oh, well, it, it sounds right to me, and then and don't worry, people will write it or comment. <laughs> but it sounds it sounds correct. And uh, and to clarify, so, so Louis Claude de Saint Martin, he's uh, 
he's, he's a minor noble who kind of grew up poor. His family didn't have much money. And he, he became um, uh, Pasquale's sort of devoted disciple and secretary for a long time. And then, and then as you said, it's been overrepresented, but he did kind of move away from a Masonic degree system and more the theurgic stuff. Uh, and he he openly wrote and published uh, is which is my understanding. Like he wanted his works to be circulated. He traveled well, he around openly Europe. Openly wrote kind of, and published under a pseudonym. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Open may not be the right the right word there, but but of course, given the the uh, political and ecclesiastical uh, climate at the time, that's a very reasonable sort of move. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is you know it's uh, um, uh, it is. A, as we're talking about the Enlightenment, you know, atheism is in vogue, and if atheism isn't in vogue, then the Catholic Church is in vogue. So, right. uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got sort of the twin enemies of of uh, reactionary orthodoxy and uh, and atheism at play there, and and people like uh, like Louis Claude de Saint Martin are really trying to to think about a, a very very different approach. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and he dies, I think, around 1803, and I, I always find that, I mean, you know, I just read significance into it, but you know what I mean? Like, he kind of closes the chapter in modernism very, very cleanly. You know, a, a new century has begun, you know, and the, 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 you is, know, they is, started is, is to work that, in the Is it that early? I, I, I guess I, I sometimes forget that. I always I always think that he's, uh, that he survives a little later, but, but no, I'm sure you're right there. So this is really at the opening of the sort of Napoleonic age. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's. Uh, I, I'm I'm always sort of a little foggy on on some of the dates there. I I have to rely on on some of the wonderful uh, published sources. Uh, Milka Bogard, for example, um, you know, has wonderful wonderful material uh, on the history of the the Martinist tradition, and and any student of Martinism should be familiar with Milka's work. Yeah, I had to look it up before uh, <laughs> before the show. Okay, but, uh, I feel a little better about myself now. Yeah, so. but but the idea is that he's he, he's a little bit more public and and he's um uh he's perhaps not quite working in this degree structure. He's he's traveling, he's writing, he's following the way of the heart, the way of silence. He's taking on maybe personal students, and there's there's an idea that he gave them just kind of one degree, one initiation to get them on the path. Is this, yeah, have you heard this I mean, idea before? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, Martinism and its sort of archaic form uh, has only the one degree, right? The the superior on canoe is the only degree of Martinism. Uh, it's really only with the incorporation of the Masonic dimension with Jean-Baptiste Willermoz Jean that we see the uh, this sort of degree structure that is now so much a part of of, of modern Martinism. That's uh, that doesn't that's something that seems to be on on one level sort of foreign to uh, what Louis Claude is is doing. Hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about modern Martinism, uh, bringing us up to the late 1800s, the occult revival period. Uh, we meet a Dr. Gerard Encos, uh, known by the ecclesiastical name Papu, or Papus, as we say here in America, because we're crass I, Americans. <laughs> well, actually, it, it's funny because uh, I, I've had debates about this. Um, it does. It's not a French term, mm. of course. Oh, so it's not. It's it's not Papu. It is it is Papus. 
Who knows? Who knows? They they were <laughs> when I when I meet uh, when I meet the good doctor, uh, I'll ask him. Um, yep, yep. Well, let me know. <laughs> at any rate, uh, he is is largely responsible for the uh, for what everything. Martinism looks like today. Well, yes, everything. <laughs> yeah. everything. Yes, uh, so. I like to say that he was attempting to create a grand unified order of everything. Uh, that's not that's not entirely wrong. I mean, he really is trying to draw together all of these different and very disparate streams. And I think it's really with with Papos that we see the the sort of linkage of sort of ecclesiastical elements and and Masonic elements and uh, mystical elements and so on and so forth, uh, where it becomes, what we would very much recognize today as a, a unity. And every once in a while, it seems very, very strange to me when I uh, step back and I think about especially the connection between sort of Rosicrucian uh, initiatory practice mm -hmm. and Masonic practice and ecclesiastical Gnosticism. Those are, a, that's a really weird combination. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it it seems very, very obvious to us, those of us who have sort of, you know, cut our teeth within a tradition that had already established that connection. But if you step outside of that, of that framework, that's really weird. Um, that, that's a strange connection, and, and I think a lot of that comes from from Pappas just sort of trying to hold all of these things together in his own head. Right. Right. It's like one thing informs another, certainly in a um, in an abstract sense. But then when you get to the actual practical work of it, there's something there's something even deeper there connecting all of it. Um, it's hard to describe, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I did, because because like I said, it you know, it makes perfect sense to me because that's the tradition in which I've been working for the last, you know, two plus decades, right? And so if somebody says to me, oh, you know, so-and-so was a grandmaster of the, um, you know, right of Memphis and Mizraim, and they were a Gnostic bishop, and they were Rosicrucian, I go, well, of course, yeah, right? right? And those things all go together. But they don't go together. They're very, <laughs> very different. And um, I, I think sometimes uh, we lose sight of of the fact that that the linkage of these three things has a very specific historical uh, contingency to it. Mm -hmm. If I had a time machine, I would be uh, going back to the late 18, uh, 1800, 1890, 1895, somewhere around there in France, and I would, you know, just walk around and I'd learn how to speak French and then I just yeah, I was just going to say you'd be totally screwed yeah. because you couldn't speak the language right um, but it, that is a fascinating period of history and uh, and and all of these interesting folks getting together and swapping initiations and consecrations and 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 kind of cobbling these orders together um, that you know maybe hadn't been worked especially in the case of Martinism hadn't really been worked in any formal way for uh, you know, nearly a hundred years at that point. Um, well, not well, exactly that's that's, but, yeah, true. that's years. true in France. That's true in France, but it's not right. necessarily true uh, outside of France because sure. uh, there is, and we didn't, we haven't mentioned this at all. Yep. The, the Russian connection. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, um, and so when we look at people like uh, Kolovian, uh, Novikov, um, they are keeping 
that that Martinist uh, tradition alive in a very very concrete sort of way. Now there's an interruption, of course, because uh, Catherine the Great is um, very very strongly opposed to all of the, the all of these theosophical lodges, which she considered to be uh, challenges to uh, her political power, mm-hmm. um, and, and that makes a, a certain amount of sense, of course, but. Um, but but Novikov and 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 others really do sort of preserve this tradition in Russia in a way that allows it to to sort of make its way back into uh, France in the uh, in, in the the twentieth century, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it sort of reminds me in some ways of the way in which uh, Plato is is received that there's. There's this this wonderful sort of uh, Platonic and Neoplatonic tr- Neoplatonic tradition, um, and then it sort of gets shunted out to the Arabs, and there's this gap of uh, a, a couple of centuries, and then it sort of makes its way back to its homeland from from this detour uh, in uh, among the Arabs, and I think that the same thing sort of happens with Martinism and its it's Russian sojourn, that mm-hmm. uh, the Russians become sort of the caretakers of a tradition that gets lost in its homeland. Mm-hmm. Isn't it true that there is a, a Martinist lodge room in the Kremlin? There is a Martinist lodge room in the Kremlin. Um, it's, uh, it's very, very well preserved. Um, I mean, it's, it's been left intact, uh, I think partially because uh, the people who are charged with, uh, with the sort of curation of of that that historical building uh, have no idea uh, <laughs> w- what they're dealing with, and so they they don't want to screw it up. Yeah. So they've just sort of left it as it is. It's quite beautiful. Um, uh, Nicholas, of course, uh, you know, uh, actively sort of fostered uh, the, uh, the 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 Martinist uh, practice uh, within the court. Um, and in fact, uh, the original name of uh, my uh, OMCC lodge uh, was the Lodge uh, Saint Nicholas II. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that, that's absolutely true. And that Saint Nicholas didn't go around punching any heretics, I imagine. <laughs> uh, no, no, not this one. <laughs> no. You know, he just managed to get himself shot. No. So, <clears throat> and, and of course, the Papu comes to Russia and yes. it is an advisor in the court from you know from France to Russia, even though there is that already that lineage in in Russia. Now, now is that uh, who's the czar at that point? Now, that's after Paul, isn't it? Or yeah. I mean, that's it's, yeah, that's, that's got to be be up to the the sort of yeah. uh, late Romanov, you know, Nicholas period, right? Yeah, yeah, the last okay. one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah, Paul, uh, the bizarre Paul uh, is actually um, the one to whom we we owe a great debt of gratitude because he rescinds a lot of the um, the the prohibitions uh, against the Theosophical lodges. Uh, so he's he's an important element in in the preservation of that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, go ahead, Father. Well, yeah, we're, we're running a bit low on time, so I wanted to kind of ask one kind of final question, if I could. And, and actually, being that um, all three of us are involved in Martinism in, in uh, 
<laughs> some some form or another. Um, but uh, maybe starting with you, Bishop, what has the uh, what has Martinism uh, imparted to you in your spiritual life? I know that you you like it quite a bit, and uh, it seems to have. Uh, influence your your spiritual practice. Can you tell me a little bit about how that's uh, how that's been a part of your life? There are real elements of the Martinist symbology that have uh, such a profound resonance uh, for me, and I found very early on when I encountered the Martinist tradition that it was it was one of the few traditions that I immediately sort of had a personal connection to that this felt right that that the 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 symbols of of the mask and the cloak um these were were symbols that made sense to me on a very very deep and personal level and so uh martinism has always been something that that's a sort of uh, mothership for me that I, I, I keep coming back to as a, a place where the most central, the most universal, the most basic concepts of initiatory practice are preserved. And there really does seem to me to be a sense in which uh, Martinism is a kind of arc for the, for the most profound concepts of, of theurgy and mysticism. Hmm. How about you, Jonathan? Same question. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I found Martinism after kind of a period of searching, where um, I didn't really realize that that there was this this active mystical and and Gnostic component to Christianity as a living tradition. So I I kind of went looking for that component, and I found Martinism, and it, it really kind of uh, opened my eyes. Um, and, uh, and and again, you know, the, uh, just like uh, Mar Thomas said, it, it and as we often talk about with these movements and these uh, these bodies of thought, it felt like coming home, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything felt instantly familiar, and everything kind of made sense and clicked. Well, at the same time, still challenging me, right? It wasn't. It wasn't. This is what I already believe. <laughs> you know, uh, it was. You know, that there is the. It, it's. It is a it, it it is a challenging um, uh, form of mysticism and and theurgy in in many ways. Um, and of course, a story I like to tell but haven't told on this show uh, is um, while googling about Martinism, I found uh, Father Tony's uh, talk about it on uh, Friend of the Podcast, uh, a Cult of Personality, an excellent podcast everyone should listen to. And then I'm like, oh, who's uh, who's this Father Tony who's a priest in a church? What, there's a modern Gnostic church? I knew there was one 100 years ago. What's going on? And that's basically how I found the AJC. So, hmm. uh, so now it's my fault, be, everybody. You can I know. It's like, <laughs> hey, Tony. Is, that, yep. is that a good or a bad thing? You know, I'll leave that up to the AJC to decide. Maybe maybe this is not a, an origin story, but a, a terrible tragedy. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, the, the I, only hate I mail I ever received was was from that uh, lecture, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, so I I feel pretty good about that one. Yeah. And and Father Tony, the you that's the, the uh, that's the that's the only hate mail you've received. The only direct hate mail. I mean, I've received awful Boy, comments on this channel. You are <laughs> not doing it right, then. No, yeah, uh, no, I think I'm I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I I do have to say that that the most profound sort of mystical experiences that I've had have all taken place within the context of the Martinist Lodge. Hmm. And that tells me something, I think, right away. 
Yeah. Mm. That's very interesting. For for myself, I um, the I, I'm not an SI uh, as of as of this point in as of this recording. I guess you'd say. Uh, so I, I don't really know. I don't really have access to a lot of that material that is, um, especially the theo the theurgical uh, material. Um, I think that that comes later in the journey. However, if anybody's been listening to this podcast or watching these videos for some time, they uh, know that I have kind of a. Um, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure on on uh, on spirit, uh, quote unquote, work because I'm uh, as a as a crazy world hating dualist. You know, I don't really understand the spirits, <laughs> and and who they are and, and what they're about. So I uh, I haven't um, I haven't really done that work yet. But I do find the mystic the mysticism, um, you know, the kind of the way of the heart stuff, um, very very compatible with. The other spiritual practices that I'm already doing, the centering prayer and the, and mm -hmm. the Jesus prayer and, yeah. and things like that, hesychasm, things like that, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, if if for of, that of reason course, alone, by the time that people are watching this in uh, you know 2032, <laughs> um, you know Father Tony has been an SI for a long, long time. Yeah, you know, so, so. Uh, I will be yeah. the the Martinist Pope at that point or something. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. So there was, there's a number of questions we didn't get to um, on this sheet that I'm, I'm interested in, especially we were going to talk a little bit about the Templars, but we don't have time, unfortunately. So we will uh, save that for a later show or, um, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a vlog later. We'll have a, a guest vlog with Mar Thomas on to, to talk about the Templars and Martinism and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, any any final thoughts that uh, that you'd like to share with us, Mar Thomas, that we didn't get to on the show? Um, no, I think that uh, the the only thing that I would say is uh, for those people who are sort of familiar with the Martinist tradition, um, you know, I hope that we haven't uh, sort of gone too <laughs> far astray here. Um, and those who are not yet familiar with the Martinist tradition, it's something that is worth exploring. And I would strongly encourage uh, seekers of, of all sorts to to at least uh, examine it and and look into it uh, as, as something that can be very, very fruitful and very, very productive in developing one's own spiritual capacities. All right. That, well said. I, I couldn't agree more. So uh, as we mentioned in the video show, you can find uh, Bishop Bean under the name Mar Thomas, his ecclesiastical title, on Facebook. So uh, please do go and bother him there. I mean, check out his uh, stuff there. <laughs> and uh, he will be delighted to, uh, to, to talk with you more about this subject. I, I know it because he talks about it a lot. So <laughs> thank Absolutely. you once again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. And for those of you who are listening along at home, we will see you next week. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.